Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. My name is Nick Hill, and I am joined here by none other than Mr. Wright. Mr. Wright himself. I'm not allowed to be right. <laughs> no, you're allowed to be right. And you usually are right. You're just not allowed to say the word right as much as you were. <laughs> so for those of you looking for context, and if you, I'm sure you probably noticed this if you're a listener. I don't know why I just developed this weird speaking habit where I say the word right as like one in every 10 words. Maybe that's a, a little bit hyperbolic, but a listener was kind enough to actually send us some data points on this. They extrapolated how many times per episode I might be using that word. And it became very clear to me that I need to stop using that word. So of course, we've got our listeners doing the data on it. That's <laughs> great. So I appreciate that. And I think I just get so fired up about stuff that I am paying no attention to actually speaking property properly. See? Oh, there we go. Anyways, that being said... I'm joined here by Daniel Foch, real estate investor and real estate agent. I'm also a real estate investor and a mortgage agent, and we host this little podcast here. So thanks for listening. We've got some great topics for you today. Dan, why don't you tell us what we're talking about today? And then from there, I think we're going to dive into a hot second of news. And then we've got a nice meaty episode for everyone here. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about how to put together the right team of people to be successful as a real estate investor. We're going to be explaining the importance of each of these people in your investing career, talking about what you should expect for them and how to find the best people in each category. We've put it into a handy list format because, well, everyone loves lists. And here are the six people you need to become a successful real estate investor. Number one, a mortgage agent. Number two, a realtor. Number three, a contractor or a good inspector. Number four, a lawyer, number five, an accountant, and number six. Nick threw this in there. It's a mystery one and a few honorable mentions as well. You got to wait till the end to hear number six because number six is actually the key to the rest of those professionals. So before we dive into this, because I'm excited for this episode, Dan, something happened in the news this morning, something regarding CPI, which is the Consumer Price Index, which kind of is a measure of inflation, which is a super hot topic these days. Can you give our listeners a little update as to what happened and maybe why it's not the greatest news? Sure. So basically, US inflation didn't change, which is a good thing. It didn't go up, but it didn't beat expectations. So the expectation was 8.1%. It was in at 8.3%. This is way too high for year-over-year consumer price index inflation, by the way. But essentially, this sort of cemented the fact that the Federal Reserve is going to be increasing by a minimum of 75 basis points now at about 81% likelihood in the CME FedWatcher tool. And now there's actually pricing in of a higher likelihood or a likelihood of a rate hike higher than 75 bips. The more important part is forward looking into December on that CME FedWatcher tool that there's now predicting the Fed funds rate will be over 4% by the end of the year. Why does this matter for us as Canadian real estate investors? Well, we know that at least our opinion on the show, and I would say most economists' opinion, is that the Bank of Canada is going to follow the Federal Reserve. We don't really have a choice. Otherwise, we risk a currency crisis and exacerbating existing inflation in Canada. And so we will likely be following that rate hiking cycle. So if you get your news from TikTok and you think that everybody is, <laughs> that the Bank of Canada is going to be hiking rates, you're in for a 
very, very sore Christmas. But at least you are well entertained with all the dancing and pointing that goes on on TikTok. So basically what I'm understanding is inflation is still bad and rate, more rate hikes are possible both south of the border and unfortunately up in Canada. It's maybe worth also noting we are still seeing a lot of inflation caused by the increase in housing costs. So that's rents, but that's also mortgage interest and the cost of houses not going down in line with what interest capital costs is causing, even though fuel costs are going down. So the biggest net decline in CPI composition was in fuel. The biggest net incline in CPI composition was in housing. So we're starting to see these real factors and how housing and real estate impacts and interacts with inflation, right? Yeah, semi-nerve-wracking stuff. Don't worry, we will be keeping you well-informed. Next week's episode will be all about what's going on in the news as well as our Korea update. But for now, let's stay on topic and talk about – let's just get right in and start talking about the six people you need to buy your first investment property. So I'd like to start this off by saying – one of the things you should be remembering at all times as an investor and a business owner is who, not how. Now, I didn't come up with this somewhat much smarter than me did, and they wrote a full book about it. But if you boil that down to just the basics, essentially, you want to find people that are better at what you're trying to do than you, that have those skills you need and utilize them as part of your power team, which we're going to be talking about building today. Because each person on the list that we're discussing plays a critical role in your investment journey. Now, we, we're going to talk about entering into a market where you know some of these people. And we're going to talk about entering into a market where you don't know any of these people. And the most important thing we're going to be talking about is how to find these people. So we put together some numbers here. We're going to talk about a little bit of the competition. So we're going to give you some stats on mortgage agents, on realtors, on people in the construction business and lawyers and CPAs. Dan's going to tell you approximately how many of them there are. And then I'm going to tell you approximately what they make. And then we're going to start to unpack each one of those professions. Dan, take it away. Okay. And also, I'd like to mention, you hear a lot of people say your network is your net worth. And I too believe that. I think it's one of those funny little idioms that the industries have come up with. But we want to talk about building a national network for individuals who listen to our podcast, but also people who are interested in investing in real estate. So if you're a professional in any of these categories or in any category where you feel you can add value to the real estate transaction, or if you're a value chaser, if you're looking to pay people to do stuff for you to help you invest your real estate capital, we want to hear from you because we want to start connecting people across the country to make better real estate investments in the Canadian marketplace. So let's talk about the competition here. In Canada, there are 30,000 mortgage professionals, approximately 30,000 licensed brokers, agents, and other mortgage professionals operating across the country according to Mortgage Professionals Canada. Nick, how much money do they make on average? So the average mortgage broker salary in Canada is about $76,500. Entry-level positions are around 54000 and more experienced workers make about $108,000 plus. It's probably worth noting that salary is a very loose term here. I think that most real estate professionals work on a commission structure. So a lot of the, let's call them brokers, there would be making commission. And if you're working for a bank as an agent, let's call it, then you're probably more likely to be on a salary, maybe base plus some sort of bonus structure. Number two, there are 140,000 realtors Woo! 
in Canada. Actually, I've always felt that the stat was just completely astounding, but then I saw how many more there were of other careers and it actually made me feel a little bit better about how many realtors there were. <laughs> how much do realtors make on average, Nick? Oh, every realtor's a millionaire. All they have to do is open a couple doors and boom. Kidding. That is not the case. Real estate agents in Canada usually make between 24000 all the way up to the more experienced ones making about 134000 on average plus with the medium income for realtors being $46,000. I think that would be low compared to what a lot of people think. It's funny in the GTA, that's two transactions on the average house, assuming you're making two and a half percent. So GTA and greater... Actually, Vancouver, I think has the lowest commission structure. Number three, 370,000 construction businesses. So the average general contractor, and again, I use the word salary here very loosely because most of these gentlemen and most of these people, women are probably self-employed, but they take home on average $65,000 a year. A newer construction business is probably down in the forty-five, forty-six thousand. Well, more experienced business owners and people in, the, in that field make about 127000 I still feel like that's super understated. Trades are the people who I'm just like, you guys are all rolling in money. Yeah. (laughs) Number four, we got, yeah. People who were once rolling in money and revered as a a very well paid career, apparently becoming quite saturated. Number four, 130,000 lawyers in Canada, just behind realtors. Surprised me. That is surprising. So, obviously, the lawyer's salary, which is probably more likely salary plus some commissions or, stru- or whatever structure that is, is generally higher. The average is about 99000 with entry levels being about 77000 and more experienced lawyers make 135000 plus. And finally, we have 210,000 CPA members or members of the Chartered Professional Accountants in Canada. Yeah. So the average CPA, again, similar to lawyer, makes about 90000 per year. Entry level, you're starting at about sixty one, and with more experienced CPAs making 166 plus. So one of the reasons that I feel it's important to think about the quantity and also the earnings of a lot of these different industries is real estate, in a lot of cases, is about negotiating. And it's important to know that you are in a market you think about it like a buyer's or seller's market. Are you in a market that's oversupplied? If there's a market that's saturated, you should be shopping around for the best price, the best quality, the best service that you're going to get from all of these professionals. I would say mortgage agents are the lowest supplied in that list of individuals. I've got a smile on my face right now. (laughs) But they're also the ones giving you the money. They're the very first step. They're the very first stop on the road to making your first real estate investment from my perspective. Now, so before you dive into the mortgage agent, because I like where you're going with that, I just wanted to say, I think the reason that it's a lot lower for mortgage agents versus the rest of the professionals is mortgage agents, one of their largest pieces of competition is the big institutional banks. So yeah, it definitely doesn't account for how many professionals are within the banks. Because there's a lot of people serving that mortgage agent function, likely for a large financial institution, a big six, a chartered bank, maybe even a credit union or B-side lender that likely aren't accounted for in this statistic. So I would agree with you. Take it with a grain of salt and consider those in factoring in. If you're a good long-term career investor and you're going up for a refi on a huge portfolio, if you're taking it to one bank, you're doing yourself a disservice, right? Even if you want to be your own mortgage broker, which I don't necessarily advise, go take it to five or six different lenders, the advantage of a broker there being that your credit's only getting pulled once to go to five or six different lenders. So that's easier right off the bat. Anyway, without further ado, let's talk about mortgage agents. So the difference between banks and mortgage brokers is that 
banks can only offer their own products. They can only lend you money from there. Some banks do have arrangements with B-side lenders or different types of facilities. But mortgage brokers typically are the best opportunity for you to get multiple mortgage options. Independent mortgage brokers, in a lot of cases, they're starting to conglomerate into bigger shops. So you'll there's you know three major mortgage brokerages in Canada and they aggregate to get volume discounts in a lot of cases. So when you go to the bank and you say, look, I want to go get a mortgage, they're going to say, we'll happily try and give you a mortgage, but we want to be able to give you the mortgage that we want to give you. They're probably not offering you the best rate. You can often even go to a mortgage broker and get a better rate from the same lender. For investors especially, mortgage brokers are valuable because they can personally tailor your credit strategy and pick something that's going to work the best for you depending on scale, risk tolerance, strategy, and market and engineer it right from the start. Right? They say, okay, we want to create a portfolio. Here's where we're going to start for you. This isn't to say that there's anything inherently wrong with the big six banks. However, they quite simply aren't able to offer the most compelling mortgage products, at least in my experience, to investors in Canada. There are reasons for this that we can get into. But one of the, the elements is that actually you legally, the big six banks, they'll shuffle mortgage agents around geographically because they don't want to be building good relationships with people because that opens the door for potential mortgage fraud, back-end deals, etc. And they're regulated by the Bank Act at a national level, legislative level to avoid things like that. So they're not relationship-driven lenders. Yeah. And to me... As a mortgage agent, that's really what it comes down to. And, and that's always my, you know, part of my pitch when I'm working with a new client and they're like, okay, well, I've taken you to the bank. I'm like, okay, great. Well, that, that's a good place to start. But, you know, as you said, the bank moves people around. The bank is actually trying to not have a great relationship in a lot of cases with their clients. Whereas, and some of those bank people work nine to five hours, right? If you're doing a deal on an off hour, which real estate transactions, who are we kidding, always tend to be on off hours, you need that mortgage agent there. So, you know, obviously I may be a bit biased, but, you know, a bad mortgage agent or a bad loan can really be detrimental to your growth and your strategy, especially if they put you in the wrong product. So be sure to find and work with the best type of mortgage agent you can. How would you find the best agent? And also, I will inter interrupt before I let you answer that question. But I found that lately, with closings being so damn difficult, with properties appraising incorrectly or whatever it is, there's a lot of value in a mortgage broker almost being a manager of the transaction to push it across the finish line and make sure that all of the pieces are good because banks aren't delivering on a lot of their promises. They're pulling things too slowly. They're not having things ready for closing, I find. And banks maybe is the wrong word. Lenders in a lot of cases. I think work from home and the decentralization of a lot of these paperwork supply chains has really demanded the role of a mortgage broker to be an aggregator and an attention giver to babysitting that transaction until it gets closing. Almost like an escrow agent in the States. Yeah. I love that comparison. I'm not going to answer your question. I'm going to save that answer until the end because that answer, I'm going to answer that question with everything else. My one thing, if you're an investor and you're looking for a mortgage agent, find a mortgage agent that is also an investor. That's all I'm going to say for now. Let's move on to number two, which is real estate agent, realtor. Dan, you know a thing or two about real estate agents, right? <laughs> I don't know any good ones, but... <laughs> They're all millionaires. So why don't you tell us a bit about it? Yeah. Realtors also known as real estate agents, real estate brokers, or agent immobilier in French. It is worth noting that the realtor is probably going to be the most well-compensated member of your team. 
at least on a per deal basis. So your expectations of them should be high. Real estate is an incredibly competitive marketplace. So my advice would be to shop around a little bit to find the best fit for you because it's out there. There's a lot of agents. There's definitely a personality element here. Relationships are subjective and there is obviously, as a result of that, no one size fits all solution here. When a lot of people shop for agents, they tend to think about commission structure and how expensive the fees are. But honestly, a good agent should be able to save you the fee that they're earning. So agents are typically making about 2.5% per end on a transaction. So if they're a buyer agent, they're making 2.5% and the selling agent on that same transaction is also making 2.5%. Each one represents one represents the buyer, one represents the seller. A good agent should be able to easily save you more than 2.5%. So think about reverse engineer that back, okay? They need to know the market really well. They need to know the product really well. As a guideline, maybe using your friend's uncle is probably not going to cut it in most cases for here. You need someone with specialized local knowledge, local knowledge being the keyword. If the agent is driving a very long distance to get there and they're not really familiar with the area or it's the first time being in the city, that is a bit of a red flag from my perspective because location, location, location is the most important factor in real estate. You need familiarity with the local market. You need to understand the product that you're buying, the house, the condo, whatever it is. You need to be familiar with that. Within the local market, a couple of different questions to ask are what's the the cap rate in this area? What kind of return metrics are properties selling for? What's the price per door in this market? What are local rental rates and comps for the units within the building that you're looking at? And what would they potentially rent for? Even in some markets in Canada, realtors are they are the infrastructure around the leasing world or they have leasing teams. So you can even ask them to be doing a big element of the property management after that. I actually used to manage properties when I first started out and started investing or representing investors. I was managing properties for them after they took possession. So, and I think that, you know, outside of that on the leasing side, I don't think realtors should be property managers. I think that eventually you will need a property manager. So you can use services like Rent Panda, some other different leasing or property management services that I would recommend. I think that's everything that needs to be covered on the realtor side. I would just encourage you to shop around. Don't take the first recommendation. No offense. I hate that, but most agents are going for their sphere of influence. They're going to try and find deals for the friends and family. If you're an investor, you really do need... You always see the buy, sell, invest stuff among realtors. You need an investor or you need an agent who really understands investing. You really do, to be honest, especially in a market, especially in a bear market. In a bull market, everyone looks like a genius, right? In a bear market, you need somebody who is attentive to your risk tolerance and helping you manage downside risk and helping you make a good investment. And that's not an easy thing to do. There, There are a little bit of scientific elements that you need to understand to do that properly. Couldn't agree more. So what I'm hearing you say is you should probably find a real estate agent that is an investor and definitely a investor-focused realtor. And that is a great segue into contractor, which is the third one, which you should also be finding an investor-focused contractor. So Sorry. Yeah. I just want to interrupt quickly because I think for all of these, my blanket policy would be People who are more analytical and it comes down to like different personality types. So there are people who are more analytical and people who are tailored better to emotion. And a lot of agents are good at representing emotion. And that's a value to a real estate transaction if you're buying your primary residence where it's a more emotionally driven transaction. But you don't want somebody like that necessarily helping you with your real estate investments because you don't want to be investing with you emotion. You want to take one that of, emotion out of the equation. Right. And yeah. so focus more. And I would say this not just for realtors, but for mortgage brokers, for realtors, for everybody on this list, you want somebody who's really going to boil it down to the nuts and bolts because at the end of the day, you're running a business here. So you need to think about this transactionally, not with emotion. The only place where I think that there is room for emotion here is in the customer service element of being a landlord, which we've talked about enough. So anyway, Nick, 
Yeah, what the heck? I was going to save that for the end, but there we go. Nice break. <laughs> nice break in the middle. No, it's okay. Okay, let's move on. Contractor. So a contractor can be a major asset or they can turn into a major liability. So first and foremost, I want to talk about what does a good contractor look like? I get this question all the time, Dan. I'm sure you do too. You know, I just, I'm looking at buying property here. Where do I find someone to do the work? And all of the investing groups I'm part of, it's always people trying to find good work. So I can tell you right now, isn't the guy with the biggest tires on his truck? Yeah. That's what I heard it's in my gotta town. It's got to be lifted. It's got to be lifted as well. If he's not using an extension ladder to get his materials out of his truck, <laughs> then he's not the right guy. Uh, okay. So there's an old saying in construction and it applies to actually most businesses and projects in general. And I'm sure we've all seen this. It's either three circles. I found a great one. It was called the unattainable triangle, which I thought was a kind of a funny name. So picture a triangle and each point represents a different thing. One point for speed, one point for quality, and one point for cost. And I'm sure we're all familiar with this idea. Because ideally, you want a job done well for a great price, but that's not going to happen. So you essentially can only choose two of these. A project can be fast and cheap, but it won't be quality. And a quality project can be fast, but it will be expensive. Yeah, this is the, the good, fast, cheap triangle is what I've heard it. Yeah, I like the unattainable triangle better because it's just it's just got a bit of a more clickbait name right there and I fell for it. So again, you're going to want to find a contractor that is as close to the middle of that triangle or the middle of those spheres as possible. And as investors, we're trying to build equity into assets. So you want that equity ideally to be quality equity. You also want an ROI from that as fast as possible which will make it difficult. So let's say you are you have a duplex conversion, the faster you can get that job done and get it rented and refinanced. So this is a vital relationship and a good contractor will play a very key role. They should also ideally be wearing many hats. So I've built some great relationships with contractors over the years and they've taken on the roles like you mentioned in the beginning, Dan. They've taken on the roles as an inspector for me. They've also done minor property management stuff and gone and dealt with, you know, leaky faucets or whatever it may be when I'm not around. Now, a lot of contractors don't love doing that kind of stuff, but if they know you're a good client, they will. I've had contractors come and walk properties with me. I've built such good relationships with contractors that they actually send me deals now. And why wouldn't they? They're out looking at properties all the time. My one piece of advice here is a lot of contractors that I've spoken to over the years, and again, I come from a construction background, they are hesitant to work with investors because they look at it as more of a B2B relationship. That's business to business relationship, whereas most general contractors are doing B2C. So that's business to customer. So business to an end user, that's your neighbor that wants their bathroom done. Lots of the contractors I've spoken to tell me investors haggle on price and or try to get involved way too much with that project. So if you find a gate contractor, let them do their thing and pay them well for it. It will be worth it. Because by the time you've done a couple of deals, you'll be getting better prices, better treatment, and they will start to work with you. I've systematized a lot of the stuff with my contractor. So, you know, the next project we go, we know the kind of flooring, we know the window treatments, and it's a system now. Dan, you got anything to add to the role of a contractor? The only thing I would add, and I think a lot of contractors might hate me for this, is that you could use them as a de facto home inspector. I would offer to pay them for their time, like pay them an hourly rate. And so if you're going to have them come through a property to quote... Because you don't want to piss them off by going and buying a property that is absolutely so much work and you're both really trying to make the renovation happen and it's not working. There's easy ways to control for that relationship 
throughout the renovation. And that's involving them from the start. And I would say this for most, it's just good communication, right? And this is through development as well. If you're developing, the municipality or the conservation authority wants to be involved in the conversation as early as possible as well. They don't just want to be hit with a site plan. And then you're trying to squeeze all these pieces into place. So feel free to bring a contractor through properties offer to pay them for their time. It'll be pretty communicative what their reasons for being there are if they choose to accept or deny that offer. But that's really my only other element. And the other piece is in a lot of these towns, on the flip side, home inspectors can often be almost good general contractors where you know you have them inspect a property and then they'll refer you to people to do a lot of the repair work that needs to be done for a property. And inspection isn't necessarily... For me, it's to identify opportunities where I can create value. It's not to dissuade myself from buying a property, right? Mm-hmm. I bet you're going to ask how you find a good contractor. Well, I, too bad. I probably, <laughs> I probably <laughs> won't right now because you can't find them. But no, I think we're going to move on to... Are we going to move on to the next one? Yeah, let's keep the party going here. Why don't you start us off? So the next is lawyers and or paralegals. They typically review all the legal documents and help you close a property. And I think you added in the paralegal piece because they're also going to help you with a lot of the landlord and tenant proceedings, right? So they'll pull title on the property. This will really help you. They also register your mortgage on the property. They get you title insurance, etc. And if there's ever any litigation, most lawyers who do real estate don't also do litigation. If they do, that might be a bit of a red flag, to be honest with you, unless they only specialize in those two things. But they'll help refer you to a litigation lawyer through their network because the real estate or the lawyer community is very tight knit. What about status certificates? Yes. So lawyers typically are the ones reviewing status certificates. They usually are the ones you want to give the final sign off. A status certificate on a condominium basically analyzes the economic or financial health of a building. Also, whether or not there's any... It would be similar to looking at the title of a property, but whether or not there's any liens or something registered against the property. And that document discloses sort of any risk that might be associated with you owning that unit. Yeah. I mean, they also can play a key role in structuring deals. So structuring partnerships, joint ventures, and of course, writing up any of those other necessary documents we need. We've got a whole point form list of what a lawyer does for a buyer, what a lawyer does for a seller. I don't know if we go into all that or if we just kind of maybe put that in the show notes or something, but I just wanted to bring up a quick piece about most people think lawyer, okay, yeah, you see them in a the law office on closing date, you know, they do the keys, you know, you talk to them for a week or two at the end and that's it. When you become an investor, if you are an investor, you know that a lawyer plays a much larger role. My lawyer, great guy, he's an investor himself. Again, obviously, I would recommend finding a lawyer that is very familiar with real estate investing and ideally is an investor themselves. I, Dan, you remember this. This is probably going back a year and a half. I was having some major tenant issues with a gentleman that was threatening me and and things were getting really out of hand. And it was an extremely stressful situation for me. Like I was, I'm not kidding. I was losing sleep over this. My lawyer played such a key role and helped me through the whole process, talked me off the ledge. Actually, we ended up figuring the whole thing out in a very diplomatic fashion basically based off of the advice that my lawyer had given me throughout the process. So lawyers, they play counsel in in more than one way. So don't underestimate the value of having a great lawyer and don't underestimate the value of open lines of communication with that lawyer either. For sure. And did you want to quickly go through the roles that each of those have? Actually, I'll I'll add to that. My opinion is, you know, you're starting to see the value of lawyers along with mortgage brokers in coaching deals all the way to the end. Realtors, good realtors should be doing this in this market as well because they're the ones who 
functionally are managing the transaction between the mortgage broker and the realtor at the end of the day. But you're starting to see the value of having somebody who's really willing to do what it takes to push deals across the finish line. I've, as a lot of the listeners know, I've got a deal that's been extended about four times since it was supposed to close in August. And I likely would not have been able... It's supposed to be closing today. So I would likely not have got nearly as far. I would have totally messed up and done something wrong and eliminated my ability for recourse if it doesn't close today, had I done what I wanted to do. So having good professionals on your team can save you a lot. Trust me, I can tell you that right now. So not how? Yeah. And on the buy side, a good lawyer helps represent by reviewing the APS and other legal docs. We'll often see lawyer review clauses in more complex transactions. Almost every deal that I do, let's say over 2 million bucks, has a lawyer review clause. And that helps to eliminate liability on all of the other people who are, to be honest, less qualified to be reviewing legal documents than lawyers who <laughs> specialize in legal documents. Yes. Leave it to lawyers, please. They'll do title insurance, as we mentioned, make sure property taxes are up to date. They do disbursements on all of these things and they do adjustments for you know prepaid taxes, prepaid utilities in certain areas if there's oil tanks or propane tanks that have been filled up, etc. Drop the mortgage documents, register the mortgage. So they actually also represent the buyer and the lender on transactions. So the lender becomes a client of theirs and they exchange legal documents and the keys with the seller's lawyer. What does the seller's lawyer do, Nick? Yeah. So again, a lot of tasks that they complete. They again, review the APS, which is the agreement of purchase and sale, as well as all other legal documents before you sign. They assist you with the negotiations and the terms throughout. They prepare the deed to your house. They deal with any title issues as they occur. They are the ones that actually officially close the transaction. They ensure all legal and financial conditions have been met and exchange the legal documents and keys with your buyer's lawyer. And they write you the check. Oh yeah, that's nice. <laughs> they pay out your lender and they write you the check. They're the check writer. So you're going to love them because some of the biggest checks you might ever see in your life will have their name on it. The so. check writer. And now we've. this was a perfect pivot here because we're talking about money and checks. So what do we got number five on the list uh, here? Oh, number five, accounting. My weakest link, to be honest, as far back as I, so I've been starting my own businesses for over a decade now, and I can tell you, I have dropped the ball on the accounting side of things on every business I've done other than recently when, guess what I did? I found a great accountant and he kind of solved a lot of my problems. And where did I find that, Dan? Through you. So thank you very much for that. You can also, I mean, my advice would be, I'm a big who not how guy when it comes to this. I know this is by far my weakest link out of all the skill sets I have to operate a business. You know, I know there's great platforms out there like QuickBooks and a lot of small business owners who are much better than I am with this, kill it on there. So whatever, you know, if you don't think you justify an accountant yet, eh, I'd give that another thought. But if you're fine and you're crushing it on QuickBooks, then keep doing your thing. But what do you think about accountants, Dan? And then let's go through what they do. And then I'm getting excited because we get to talk about the sixth mysterious one soon. So the accountant's interesting because it's often the first person that a real estate investor will hire outside of people who are transaction related or people who monetize the transaction. So you'll see people either hire an accountant a contractor or a property manager, depending on the nature of the deal, the property, the sophistication level of the investor, etc. And I find that interesting because everybody else who we've discussed, except for the contractor, but still kind of the contractor, make money off of the deal. The accountant doesn't necessarily. But my perspective is they 
help protect you in giving you peace of mind and making sure that you're running your investment properly like a business, you're filing taxes properly. You don't have to look over your shoulder wondering whether or not you're going to be exposed to some massive capital gains issue or some massive back taxes, especially in a market like the one that we're in where, number one, we have a huge fiscal imbalance that the government is likely going to be trying to collect, clawing back some of the monetary policy injections that have happened over the past several years in the global pandemic. And real estate being one of the lowest hanging fruits in that. you know, There's a lot of abuse of the capital gain system. There's estimates that rental income is the most underreported income in the country, which makes sense. I mean, a lot of mom and pop landlords don't think that they need to report that income. People are still taking cash too. Well, there's also this idea of like the holding company, the single holding company myth, right? That which we can explore. But Jason Pereira on Twitter talks a lot about this. He talked about it on one of my Twitter spaces, where basically you aren't necessarily reducing your tax exposure by using holding companies. There are other advantages to it. And we'll probably do an entire episode on this as we start to get more sophisticated on the topics we're covering. But you want an accountant who's going to help you best structure the income that you're making from a property and the gains that you're making from a property. And you need to be thinking about those things right off the bat because the people who look at your taxes and ultimately decide whether or not you're paying enough or not enough tax can look back seven years. And the last thing that you want is you know, you're exiting a property or your property is going great. You finally stabilized it. And now all of a sudden, you have to go solve a problem that you created seven years ago because you weren't thinking about things properly. So get everything in order sooner rather than later. This is really helping you to decide whether you know, you know, one of the ad partners that we have on here coming up, Troy Bill, you know, we make the joke about being able to tax deduct certain toys, right? But I know individuals who tax deduct more fuel, car expenses, meals, entertainment, legal fees. And it's not that they're going and reaching out in their world to find things that they can write off. It's that there are direct expenses associated with being a real estate investor that need to be accounted for and you deserve to be recompensated for those things or at least tax deducted from those things. So think about it and treat it like a business. What do businesses do? They hire accountants. Yeah. I love that. And I think that's really solid advice is start it from the beginning. You know, just because you bought one duplex, you're like, ah, you know, I'll wait. I'll wait. I don't need an accountant yet. It's easy. To- no. Go find an accountant and make sure that that person knows what your journey is, right? Build along with them. Yeah. It's relationship management. It's communication. And they are the relationship manager and the communication mechanism between you and the Canada Revenue Agency. So, And you want to avoid the CRA. <laughs> not even... I don't think you really want to necessarily avoid them per se, but you want to have good lines of communication with them. And the way that you communicate with them on an annual basis is through your tax return, right? And the way they communicate back to you is through your NOA, right? So... Yeah. Well said. Okay. So... We've gone over the first five mortgage agent, realtor, contractor, lawyer, and accountant. And you know, when you get to the next level of investing, this is really to buy that first investment property. So when you get to the next level of investing, you'll probably need some more people. You'll probably have more people joining your team. And this will most likely include an insurance broker, which you'll have already, but they'll become more involved, a private lender, property manager or managers, but... I'm finally willing to reveal the sixth and final, and in my opinion, the most important one, the key to everything else, other investors. So that leads us to the next and final question. Where do you find all these professionals? 
And ideally, the biggest takeaway from this episode. So the best place to find any and all of these professionals is through other investors. That is your first step in finding any of these professionals is to find people that they are currently working with. So if, if for whatever reason you can't find other investors in whatever market you're in, then go on social media. And if there's anyone in that area active on social media, making content about real estate, investing, mortgages, or any of that kind of stuff, reach out to them and they'll have access to that whole team. But the takeaway from this is other investors, they have the answers to your question. If you can go find a group, a meetup, an online phone call, anything, but there's a ton of a podcast. Hey, that sounds pretty good. Well, and on that note, we can be your other investors. Feel free to reach out to us if you are a investor looking for professionals on this list anywhere across the country, or if you're a professional who wants to get on this list anywhere across the country, we want to start connecting people. Our goal here is to build a community of damn good real estate investors across the great nation of Canada. Love it. Could not agree more. And I feel like that is a great place to end the list. Now, before we finish the episode, we've got something pretty cool. We are going to introduce the deal of the day. I feel like I should probably not do it in that voice again. Maybe have Bruce Buffer to, to start doing the intro for that. <laughs> so the deal of the day is something that Dan and I are really excited about. It's brought to you by our partner, Landlord. They have this amazing application. It's a deal analyzer. You can put your whole portfolio in there and manage it. I've spent a ton of time on it. It is a great user interface and provides you with information that Dan and I used to have to build out spreadsheets for, which kind of sucked in my opinion. Dan, you're more of a spreadsheet guy than I am. I know you probably enjoyed it. I never loved it, to be honest. So to have Lendlord have this super accessible, easy to use, easy to understand application. I love it. So we had someone send in a deal from Vernon, BC. Dan, you've got the deal in front of you. Why don't you walk us through this deal here? Yeah. So look, the deal came in at a 4.89% cap rate. It was negative cash on cash return in year one, negative net annual cash flow. It does need some work. And so you've accounted for that in your pricing, which you can go through, Nick. But if you look at the more long-term metrics, your long-term ROI is like 116%. The internal rate of return is just shy of 8%. Equity multiple is about 2.16. The equity from the deal is about 917,460. 917,000. And the GRM gross revenue multiple is 14.58. That's in a 95% occupancy over a 10-year hold. Yeah. So basically what I did is... And I've also got the MLS listing up in front of me, which is important because if you look on the MLS... And then what I do is take the address and then put the address into Google Maps. I take a little tour around the neighborhood. I realize that this probably needs a little bit of work. So I put $100,000 in there for the work. But I also noticed a few other things that I liked on Realtor.ca, which is it has been on Realtor.ca for 133 days. That is something that us investors, I'm sure we all agree, love to see. So it's been sitting there for a while. So you can get most of the information, if not all the information you need for your landlord deal analyzer from MLS. You basically just need the MLS number, you need the price, and then you just start plugging in the other metrics. What am I going to put down? Okay, I know I'm going to put 20% down just based off of the research. You know, if you want to get deep and do a deep dive in it, you can figure out what rents are in that area. So, you know, I did that last night. I put, okay, two bedrooms, maybe around $2,000. I like to be conservative. And from there, you literally just start plugging in these numbers and all of those metrics that Dan just read out that we just covered in our last episode 
all of those metrics just start to populate when you put the numbers in. So huge fan, love it. Really excited to be able to start introducing the deal of the day segment. Dan, any other final words on Landlord, the deal of the day or the list we just put out? I don't think so. I think Landlord's a great place to go through a handful of the metrics that we went through in our last episode. And beyond that, we look forward to getting people to send us deals, to getting people to send us their contact information if they want to be connected with other investors or other professionals in the space. Again, we would love to kind of start building out a network around this thing. So reach out to us. We got an email in the show notes and we're pretty accessible on social media. So come find us. Let's just shoot the shit and talk about real estate investing. Love it. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. The Canadian Real Estate Ambassador is for entertainment purposes only and not financial or investment advice. Always do your own due diligence. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center, license number 10317 and a partner in G&H Mortgage Group. Agent license is M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker at Royal LePage or Community Realty, a member of Royal LePage Commercial, and a licensee with the Canadian Real Estate Association, Ontario Real Estate Association, and a member of the Toronto Real Estate Board.